Hey, good morning. Good to be with you and good to be back in the country. Uh, let's pray before we start this morning, asking God's anointing. Father, we pray that your anointing will come down upon us as we open up your word, that you'll speak into the heart of this pastor, uh, and that you will guide my mind, my heart, uh, my words according to your purpose. I pray you would anoint as well the ears of all the hearers, those online, those here in the house, uh, that you would please, Lord God, be our God and speak among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk this morning out of 1 Samuel. We're gonna, I love doing the Old Testament, so we're going to do Old Testament again. Pastor Doug has been preaching over several weeks about biblical manhood, talked about Desperado, that song by the Eagles back in the 70s, um, where they actually give some preaching, if you will, uh, that's interesting, and it talks to the heart of a man and what a man is looking for in his life. Um, Pastor Doug's been preaching on this for several weeks. Uh, Zach spoke once as well during that time, and we've been talking about this topic of what it means to be a biblical male, especially in the world today that's tried to redefine all these things according to its pattern and its method. So we're going to look in the Bible to do that. Uh, when I first started in ministry, everybody was arguing the notion of whether there was a hell or not. That discussion's over with. People just basically believe we're all going up. You ever, hit, you ever see a guy hit a home run and point down? Never happens, right? Everybody always, for whatever reason, whoever they were impressing, or everybody's in heaven now, right? So nobody ever points down, right? And so hell is empty. There's no more hell anymore. So the discussion was, is there a hell? Today now there's a discussion, is there such a thing as sin, right? The progression has moved on to from there is no hell to where now there is no sin. We've watched over 30 years. The, the culture around us has gone from being um, the modern world to the postmodern world to the post-Christian world and rapidly the post-truth world. We now live in a post-truth world. You have truth, you have truth, you have truth, you have truth, and let the discussion begin. So what happens in a post-truth world is everybody becomes a preacher, right? Advertisements are no longer to try to get you to buy something. It's to tell you, see, we're really good people and you should do this too, right? So Preachers, uh, preachers have been substituted now with advertisements. Politicians preach. Everybody's preaching because we're all out there saying this is the truth. And that's the argument that's going on. Back in the 70s, the Eagles started or were a part of that process in this song, Desperado. If you remember, our band played that at the beginning and just nailed that song at the beginning of the sermon series uh, five or six weeks ago. And in that, I want to read for you a few of the lyrics out of Desperado because the Eagles were speaking into the desperate nature of the man heart. So listen to it. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for oh so long. Oh, you're a hard one. I know you've got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. I know you've got your reasons. Speak straight into the heart of a man. Where does it speak straight into the heart of a man? It speaks into the heart of a man by saying this. You have a reason for why you were hurt. You were wounded. You were broken. You were pounded. You were nicked. You were not the guy that you should be because somebody hurt you. And because of that, you now, that second line there says, these things that are pleasing you now can hurt you somehow. Because here's what the culture has said. If you're wounded, you get a pass chip on addiction. If you're wounded, you have a reason for why you hurt people. Hurt people hurt people, right? That's what the saying is. Right. So the, so the Eagles were basically saying, you've got your reasons for why you've left the world and you're now out there riding fences and you're out there doing it all on your own. Lonely as it is. 
And oh, by the way, you still want to be loved. So what you've done is short of love, you settle for lust. Short of love, you settle for addiction. It's the eagle song. Then you go on to the next stanza. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she's able. Queen of diamonds. What is he? He's talking about materialism. He's talking about the things of the world. Right? He says, you know the queen of hearts is always your best bet. You're still broken, wounded. Don't let stuff settle the desires of your heart. You actually still want to be loved. Queen of hearts. Right? It's the eagles. I mean, this is a sermon from 50 years ago. Now, it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the ones you can't get. See, the problem with materialism, even the eagles knew it, is, is that once you have something really great, you need just a little better. Right? The eagles got it, guys. Desperado. We're desperate for true meaning in our souls. We're desperate for something meaningful in our lives. We've been talking about men, and today we're going to finish up, and that is, is that one of the deep desires and needs of every man is another man in his life who is shoulder to shoulder with him that goes through life together. We were not meant to be it on our own. The Bible's filled with all kinds of people like this, is that you had uh, Moses uh, who had Aaron. You had Abraham who had Lot. You had David who had Jonathan. You had Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder. You had the 12 disciples. You had plethora of people, the sons of Issachar. The Bible is filled with all kinds of guys that did life together. We talk about doing life together. So many of our men, small groups. We talk about small groups all the time around here. Why? Because men need other men in their lives to sharpen them, to push them forward, to keep moving that edge in our lives. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as a man, as one, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One of the most beautiful things in life is when you've got someone to ride with. Ride with. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So you've got your handouts. It's hard to hand out, right? You know I'm preaching when you see a handout out on your deal. So pick up your handout. There's also handouts for you guys who are online. You can go there. It's right on the website up in the front. Hit that PDF. You can download it. You can look at it. There's also the FH app. Uh, and how we're going to go through it. I want you to see the four things that we've already talked about. All right. So Pastor Doug talked about how we're going to do this or uh, this series. And I love the heart of this series. The first week we talked about how men and women are created in the image of God. There is a biblical femininity and there is a biblical masculinity. And those are bedrock pieces of the biblical truth. That was the first one. Then we went on to our society has deceived males into believing that masculinity is the problem and that it is toxic, right? It's not the solution, is that masculinity is actually a toxic thing. That's what our culture says around us. Okay, then Pastor Doug went on, we went, uh, the next preaching was is that the path to discovering male uh, biblical masculinity is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, where men can learn to build relationships with other men shoulder to shoulder. Okay. Then, the, then finally here, this last one was following Jesus enables us to be set free to live a masculine man. See, one of the most powerful things that goes on is that when Christ is in the center of a relationship between you and another man or between you and your woman, right? There is a beautiful thing and that is, is that God blesses and anoints those things. I want to say something up front here for just a second. I'm going to, I'm going to read some, some verses for you this morning that, that have been interpreted in our culture as a gay relationship between David and Jonathan. Okay, the, gay, the, the, the culture around us says, oh, those guys loved each other so much they had to have been gay. 
Okay, And this is the weirdest part of it all is that we've gotten to this place where we're post-truth where now everything gets interpreted through a sexual lens. Right? These guys were friends. They were devoted to each other. And we're going to see what that devotion looked like. They had a lot of things in common. uh, And they were great friends. So today what we're going to talk about is, and here's my point for today. If you want to grow as a man, you must build friendships with other biblically sound, spiritually growing, masculine men have to do that have to do that same goes for your boys same goes for your boys if you want to have that depth of relationship you've got to have those men in your life I was on the phone yesterday with one of those guys in my life his name is John Mills he's Luxembourgish he li- he's from South Africa he was flying to South Africa yesterday uh, to go down there over the Easter break with his family and he's a guy in my life that has sharpened me for the last 15 years we are best of friends, built relationship. I could run you through the list of names of guys that I have. My best assets in my life have names, not numbers. Some of them are business partners. Some of them are friends, but we have built great relationships. Jerry Slater in my life has been a mentoring father figure in my life for 33 years. And I'm going to stop for just a second and speak to you guys for a second. Okay, The, the Eagles spoke to that a moment ago. We live in a world that has tried to create all of you to become victims. Said you're a victim. It happened to you. It's really awful. You get all these past chips. We're all just broken. Lie. Just don't believe it. My dad finished the military 20 years as an E7. He lost three, steps along the, uh, three stripes along the way for fighting. He practiced at home. Okay? All right? I know rough. Okay, I grew up rough. I know what liquor in the home is. I know what beating is. I know what 12 schools in 12 years looks like. Okay, so whatever past chip you have, make sure you find room for mine too. Okay, because if you're a victim, then I get to be a victim with you. But I reject a lie. It's a lie. We all get stuff. And I'm not saying your stuff doesn't count, but I'm saying this. How long are you going to ride that story? At some point, that horse dies. At some point, you just get off that horse and say, you know what? I'm going somewhere else. Okay, so we're going to show you today a little bit of how we go somewhere else. So we're going to clip along a little bit quick. And this is hard on four shots of coffee, four shots of espresso. (laughs) Be careful of caffeinated Harv, man. He rides fast. All right, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. The guy you all know about is a guy named David, right? See these five rocks? Ten days ago, my wife and I picked up these five rocks in the Valley of Elah. Valley of Elah is where David fought Goliath. These came right out of that ground, right? There are no rocks there hardly left. you got to look around for them because everybody like me is walking around picking up five rocks, right? These five rocks were there. We were just there ten days ago, okay? And in that, we're going to read the story. And everybody knows about David and that one smooth stone, and he slung that like that. But what about Jonathan? Who was he? The man was a stud. The man was a stud. Watch how he is. We're going to see it here in 1 Samuel Chapter 14, read the verses with me. You guys want to go here? All right. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Who's Jonathan? He's the oldest son of Saul. Who is Saul? He's the king of Israel. Jonathan was a guy who was a prince. He was born with a spoon in his mouth, a silver spoon in his mouth. My favorite lines, Barry Switzer said this. He said, there are some guys that go around life standing on third base, acting like they hit a triple and all they were was born on third base. Jonathan was born on third base, okay? The guy had it going for him. He had everything he wanted, and he was there. And he is standing there watching the Philistines mock God, and he says, we're doing something about it. His dad, Saul, is standing on the hill, 
and doing nothing. Go back to it for me for a second. Show the Valley of Elah, those pictures from a couple weeks ago. All right, so this is our group. This is the Valley of Elah right here, okay? So this is an Israeli settlement now over to the northeast. That's northeast. This is southwest. Down here you have the cities of Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza Strip, okay? So that's what's back over that way. This, it says in the Bible, there's a little village, and it still says S-O-K-O. It's right on the other side of that little ridge right here. Not the far ridge, but the mid-ridge. And then there's another little town right over here. Those names are still the same. And it says the Philistines were camped all from that, from over here to over here. The Israelites were camped over here. But this is before they had moved all their armies up. They end up having the battle right here in the Valley of Elah where he picked up the five stones. Okay? So they have this going on. Go back to the verses now. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Verse 3. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. So catch this. Saul's got his bases covered. He brings the man of God. He doesn't bring God, but he brings the man of God. Be careful before you judge Saul too much. Sometimes you get enamored with guys like me rather than him. Okay? This isn't the Harvey and Doug show. This is the Jesus show. Okay, he brought along his favorite charismatic priest and he was so much the right guy. He had the right best. Okay, so Saul had his religious covered. He didn't have God with him. Very important point to note. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother. Uh, now we're going to read his pedigree. All right. So he was the son of this guy who was the son of this guy who was the son of this guy. I was a B plus student. I have no idea how to say that name. Of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. Verse 4. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between the rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sanaa. So now, he's, now we're going to weave you through, okay? Keep going. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Keep going. Verse 6, let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. Jonathan's statement right here is the most beautiful, powerful one, and you might want to stick, you might want to underline that in your Bible. He believed that nothing could hinder God. The great mistake that little men make is they make their God as little as they are. God is big. He's enormous. He's not some small thing in a box. We don't rub a genie bottle to get him to come out. Our God is the God of the universe. He made everything. Jonathan knew that. And what does he say about his God? He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. God is out there in front of your lives, guys. We don't have to bulk it up and do all those big, great, big, massive things if God is with us. Here's the question. Is God with you? Is God with you? Is God in you? Is God leading you? Or do you have to figure out how to overcompensate and just like stack everything towards your favor? Or is God with you? Jonathan had God with him. Let's see where it goes with this. Uh, verse 7. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied to him. I'm with you completely wherever you decide. One of the most beautiful things in good male relationships is not loyalty. The world calls it loyalty. Brand loyalty, airline loyalty, right? You go to Albertsons and they want you to have a loyalty and all like that. That's the world's version of what it means to stick with someone, right? Until you get a better offer. The biblical word is faithfulness. 
His armor bearer was faithful to God and committed to Jonathan. See that? That's a hallmark of good male relationships. Faithful to God, committed to your friend. Not loyal to a friend, because loyalty is about them, not about God between you. Remember God in the middle of all that. Keep going. All right, then Jonathan told him, we will cross over and, and let them see us. He said, I'm not afraid. One of the hallmarks of a biblical masculine man is we're not afraid. The culture has done nothing but beat the heck out of you for the last three years trying to make you afraid. Don't be afraid. What is there to be afraid of? If God is for us, who can be against us? Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor darkness, nor nakedness, or famine, nor whatever. Romans chapter 8, if God is for you, so what? So what? That's not cavalier. That's trust. Verse 9. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. In other words, if they're ready for us and they look for us in battle, if we we lost the notion of surprise, yeah, okay, we'll turn around. Let's see what happens. Verse 10. Remember, this is all before the guy picks up these five stones and goes out and kills the, the giant, okay? But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up and that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. So they put a test out there and they said, okay, God, we will go if you lead us and we'll see how you're going to make that happen. Verse 11, when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. They mocked them. If you want to be a biblical man in this day and age, just be okay with being mocked. Who cares? Mock my life all you want. Could care less. You can mock me that I get on my knees and I pray. You can mock me that I seek God early in the morning. You can mock everything about my life. I could care less. Mock it. Men, if you're following God, be prepared to be mocked. Do not be afraid because people will mock your life. It doesn't matter. They're mocking us, right? I mean, we're mocked. If there's ever a Christian in a show, what are they? They're made a fool of and they look stupid. Fair enough? That's what happened here. They said, look at the Hebrews. They're crawling out of their holes, right? Okay, keep going. Verse 12. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb up right behind me. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. He believed God was in the battle, not just him. In your life and in your struggles and in your issues and in your whatever, make sure that God is out there with you. Make sure that God is out there with you. Even the 12-step program knows that you've got to go beyond yourself. You've got to find a higher power. We know that that higher power exists. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is, he is our God. Right? Everybody has a God. The question is, do they come through for you? All right. So we'll teach you a lesson. Verse 13. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistine fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind him. I want to stop for just a second. I want to bring war in for a second. If you're a parent, you know what the first book you ought to read as a parent is the art of war. Okay? Because it's a battle. All right? Because they somehow know it, and you don't even know it. So you young parents over there, read it. Sun Tzu, it's a great book. It's actually a parenting book. You did not know that today coming in, right? What's the backdrop to this piece? The Philistines had the high ground. Philistines had high ground. It said that they had to do what? They had to crawl up there on their hands and their feet. Anybody ever done it? I mean, you ever climbed a 14er in Colorado? We always climbed a 14er, right? And you get up to the top and you're in the scree. You are on all fours and you're walking your way up and you're careful getting to the top. They had the high ground. We always believe that God's with us when we have the high ground. You'll know that God is your God when you trust him when you have the low ground. Amen? Can I get, I mean, somebody awake out there? Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, we're moving on. 14. Hey, 
I'm with you. Sinless. That's the key word for today, kids, right? Someone write it down. Pastor said sinless. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. They went after it. They went after it, and they chased them. Why, why would it say over half an acre? It's because when they saw the fact that God was with this small group of men, they ran for their lives. They ran for their lives. And they say, you know what? We're not going to stop. So they went after him. So verse 14, now let's go to verse 15. And maybe there isn't a verse 15. Suddenly, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. You know what I found? I played sports, right? And everybody's nervous. And when you're nervous and you're about to start the game and all like that, here's what you do. The, your, your opponent looks big and you, you think about their strengths and you focus on your weaknesses, right? You know what that is? You're about to get beat. Okay, you're about to get beat. What people of God do is they look at the strengths of God. They compare it to the situation and they say, if God is in this, I will go forward in it. I will go forward in it. Stop evaluating yourself against every situation in life just by yourself. Bring your God into it. Jonathan did that. David gets all the glory. We hear all the stories about David, but Jonathan, you got to hear it. He was on game before David was. There's a couple things these guys had in common. I want to stop for just a second right here. I'm going to jump down to the bottom of my page. You guys were going to come back to the verses. I know you, uh, but, but look right, right about here on the outline that you have. Yours isn't red. Mine is red, right? Notice two things about these guys that are different. Jonathan was a prince. David was a shepherd boy. Jonathan had his own armor. David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace and was trained in the art of war. David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem and was trained to tend sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son and in line to inherit the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys and he was overlooked by his father. Now I want you to see in these guys' lives, they both had different places, but they both had issues they had to climb over. Remember when David, when Samuel went to, to find the next king of Israel, he's going to anoint them. He goes to Jesse. Why, Jesse? Because Jesse is in the line of Abraham, right? So we, you know, according to the way the scripture says it should be. He goes to his house and Jesse lines up all of his kids, all of his boys. And Samuel says, is this all of them? He goes, well, I mean, I got one. He's out there tending sheep, but it can't be that one. He goes, well, bring him in. And Samuel says, that's the anointed. Some of you were overlooked. You live in the shadow of an older brother. You live in the shadow of your dad's glory in high school when he was all American and he was all this and all that or whatever. Welcome to David's life. His dad didn't even think highly enough of him to put him out there when Samuel came looking for the next king. Maybe you've been overlooked. What is Jonathan's wound? Jonathan's wound is, is that he's there and his dad, his dad, is a father that doesn't have God in his heart and overlooks his son as well. And he creates so much fear that his son is afraid of failing. Remember, he doesn't go out on the battlefield to face Goliath, right? Every man grows up with a wound. Welcome. Ladies, can I say this to you? You notice our wounds. You see our blind spots. Be careful how you deal with a man's wounds, okay? Invite the Lord in to heal him. Invite the Lord in to do his work. 
one of the most beautiful things is we're going to see how God came into David's life. And even though he was overlooked, he still went out to the battle because he saw what God saw in him, not what man saw in him. If there's a man who's special in your life, whether he's your husband or whether he's your guy friend or whether he is a son of yours, see what God sees in him. Maybe not just what the world thinks about him. That's a great, great change in how we look at each other. Okay? All right, so let's go back up. Let's go back up, and I want you to read 1 Samuel 18. This is after the battle. After the battle, David has defeated Goliath, and here's what happens. 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 9. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Jonathan, why did Jonathan love David? Because David did what Jonathan believed he should have done. And instead of being jealous, he went, man, kid, you did it too. This is a powerful thing. You know what the gay community does? They go, yeah, they were lovers. Oh, they were homosexual. B.S. Come on, really? They try to steal all of our best stuff. These guys cared for each other. They were friends. They had a bond of unity. Men can have the most incredible relationships. The closest we get to this in our world, military, police departments, fire departments, and sports teams. Right? That's where it happens. That's why those things are so powerful for male bonding. Now, they can go the wrong way, but they can be one of those beautiful things. Why? Because they get a stiff wind, and they all have to face that PT test, and they all have to work hard, and they all have to bust their rump to be their best, and they're all pulling for each other. At least most of them are. Right? That's what was going on here. After David had finished, Jonathan looked at him and said, man, that kid is cut from cloth, baby. I could be his friend. And the scripture gives that he loved him. Uh, David, Jonathan loved him. He loved him with a care love. Verse 2. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Saul even saw the potential in this guy. You know what I think he saw here? And some of you guys know what this is. Saul, the guy, the CEO of the company, said, I can make money off this guy. Right? You know what it feels to work for somebody who uses you? Yeah, that's what happens. Okay, deal with it, right? Okay, so this happened here too. Verse 3. Let's see what happens. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what is it? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. David had none of the privileges of the palace. Jonathan had everything going for him. What Jonathan said was, you know what? I am going to not play this comparison game. I'm not going to say I have all the privilege. I'm not going to say you got welcomed in. I'm not going to be jealous of the guy that my, my father loves more than me. I'm going to just make myself your friend. Look what he does in the next verse with him. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe. This was the robe of privilege. Forget white privilege. This is olive skin privilege. This guy had everything. Middle Eastern privilege. He had the role and he gave it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow and his belt. He said, you know what? You're the man. It takes an enormous amount of courage and an enormous amount of humility to say, you know what, this is your role now. Jonathan had humility. I remember I was sitting in a business meeting in downtown Denver when I was working for a guy down there, and he, he says to me, he goes, man, Harv, that's weak. And I go, have you ever seen humility? Do you have any concept of what humility is? The world sees humility as weakness. Jonathan was humble, not weak. He didn't get bested. 
he found a guy on par and he realized, you know what? God does have an anointing on this person. Why? Because he was a follower of God. One of the telltale signs when God is in the midst of a relationship between one man and another man is they don't have jealousy between each other and their successes. They go, go get yours, man. I'm all good with it. They have room to step aside. Jonathan stepped aside. Is this rare? You better believe this is rare. Doesn't happen very often. I know that. And I don't live a Pollyanna world, and I'm not naive. I get this, okay? So verse 5. Verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So the guy met up with success. So Saul made him a commander over the men of the war. An appointment was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. In other words, David did it in a way that wasn't bratty. He wasn't overlooked, and now he had to prove himself. David just jumped in the job and did it. Okay, you love those people that when you work with them and they just get in there and they do their job and they want you to be better as well. That's selfless. Verse six, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistines, something happened. Ladies, please stick with me on this, okay? Somebody's gonna get really mad at me here, okay? She said, I'm already mad. Keep going. It doesn't matter. I know your car. We've already keyed it out in the parking lot. All right. I like that. The story changes with one word. The woe man. What? That's how it was read in the first Bible, right? I mean, Genesis chapter two, he says, you should be called bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For you should. She was, whoa, man. I think that's how it was. I was not there, but I think that's how it was read. The women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul and they sang and danced for joy with the tambourines and the cymbals. What did they do when they won the war? They all danced for him, right? They all sang. They were happy, right? Why were they happy? Their sons were coming home. Their husbands were coming home. They won, right? I mean, there were tears of joy, but they changed the lyrics and they shouldn't have. So keep going. Verse seven, this was their song. Saul, CEO of the company, has killed his thousands. David, the new hire, his ten thousands. The women created jealousy. The women created jealousy. And the story goes downhill from there. Downhill from there. So look what it says in verse 8. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Ladies, let me give you just a piece, just just a simple piece. This is going to be mad at me, right? Men, buck up, bow up, be a man. Ladies, Don't create jealousy in your man that makes him feel the inferiority he's probably dealing with at some level in his life already. Okay, don't make the hill higher. Just see it for what it is. Walk with that guy. That happened, and after that, Saul chased David the rest of his life. Saul chased David the rest of his life. David, though, continued his friendship with Jonathan. So I was just there in Bet Shean, and Bet Shean was on the east side of Israel, and we were just there. And on Bet Shean, we climbed up the hill. I don't have a picture for you, but we climbed up the hill, and we did this nice hike in 30 minutes, and we got up to the top. And you know what was up at Bet Shean? 
is at Beth Shean, where the Philistines, when they finally caught up with Saul, and when he, or sorry, when he was killed, it wasn't the Philistines, but when he was killed, right? I mean, so what happened was they put their heads on sticks and they put them up there in Beth Shean, and they said, even us, we rule the show. So on there was, Dave, uh, sorry, was Saul's head, was Jonathan's head, and then his brother's head, right? That's how they did warfare in that day. And listen to what David uh, says in 2 Samuel tw- chapter 1. He writes, he writes the sorrowful voice for what happens. Okay, so let's read this verse. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death, sorry, I don't know what's going on here, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You know what David did at the very end? He didn't stomp on their grave. He said, these guys were studs. They were studs. I don't know what's happening here, Jesse, but this thing keeps pushing down. I'll try that. That might work. Hard's a little chubby fourth grade cheek right here. We'll keep it up. All right, here we go. Give me a, give me a gumball. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. You notice that, John, uh, that David comes back and he says to the ladies that changed the song, he goes, weep for this man. He provided blessing over the land. God's anointing was on him. He clothed you in scarlet and finery. He adorned you in garments with ornaments of gold. He says, Stop the song. Stop the song. These were good men. They weren't perfect. They were good men. Next verse, verse 25. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. Bet Sheon up on the hill. We climbed it. Verse 26. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Again, we go back to what does the culture around us say? Well, they must have been gay. You were better to me than a woman. I'm going to hit you right where it's at. I want you to see a quote. There's a quote from a pagan from the 20th century who says something about friendship. And I want you to see what it was. Because you go, wait, what? Better than a woman? This is a quote from the 20th century. Uh, It says, it it is not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. I said, no, let me turn it with you for a second. The whole world is all about love right now. And honestly, the world is saying love, but it really means lust. So interchange those words in a world where truth is irrelevant or it's relative and all like that. Is love is lust, lust is love. It's just it satisfies me and whatever I want, I get, right? That's the world we live in. Anybody awake in 2023 like I am? That's our world, right? Okay. So Nietzsche, I gave you the answer, but Nietzsche said, great marriages are built on great friendships. And where did he steal that from? He's the guy, by the way, remember, he said God is dead, right? But he still steals God's quotes because biblical love, ladies, men, love in the Greek is the word eros, which is the erotic, which is the sizzle of love. Love is philia love, which is the notion of caregiving love. I don't just, I'm not attracted to you. I care about you. And then the final one is agape love. I am committed to you. I, I am attracted to you. I care about you. I am committed to you. That is a friendship model for a relationship. David had a friendship with Jonathan that mattered. And it was beautiful. And it was good. Men, we are called to have good relationships like that as well. I'm going to pull this up. Maybe we'll get it figured out here. Let's try that. Even pagans know the power of deep friendship. When you read that text, it has nothing to do with homosexuality. It has everything to do with the bond that men have with each other. I have great relationships with other guys. I'm not attracted to them. They're gro- I mean, no, men stink. Men have hair in crazy spots, all in their ears and all. They're gross. How you even put up with this is a small miracle, ladies. I mean, let's just be straight up and honest about it. 
This is a beautiful friendship between two guys that care for each other as brothers. I want to go to close and I'm going to give you five principles that I think matter in the relationship with men. Okay? And I want you to see them real quick here. Oh, a few characteristics of solid male relationships. One, they have mutual encouragement coupled with spoken and unspoken accountability. The best male relationships come with, hey, bro, be better than that. Hey, bro, be better than that with your wife. Hey, bro, be better than that in a business deal. Hey, bro, be better than that in your thought life. Hey, bro, be better than that. Jonathan and David stirred each other on to good things in their relationships with each other. And that is a hallmark of relationships here. Stand strong in your commitments, your marriage, your business, your family. Stand strong in your ethics, your morals, and your alignments. The best male relationships have the right and the willingness and always are right there with, hey, bro, be better than that. Okay? Second thing, their friendships are, are defined by kingdom impact, not worldly yardsticks. They encourage each other to have kingdom-minded goals in all that they do. Look, there's great goals out there, success, money, stuff, and all like that. But the truth of it is there's stuff that matters more than that, right? Right? I mean, listen, if you're in a relationship with somebody and all they're after is, is making more dough, at some point you go, what, what are we making the money for? Our best assets have names, not numbers, attached to them. Number three, they cheer for each other's families to succeed and do well as if they were true biblical families. See, this is, if we're together, your family matters as much as my family matters and your family matters as much as my family matters. And I want your kids to be successful and I want my kids to be successful. And I'm not competing with you, I'm collaborating with you and I want our lives to be the best they possibly can. We don't always have to win. My kid doesn't have to be better than your kid. Us can be better as well. We can grow. We don't always have to have a better story, make more money. We reject the yardsticks that the world around us say matter. And we say the kingdom matters. Different way of looking at friendships. Number four. Number four. Love is traded between men in the form of a different currency than women. It's respect. This is the bottom of Ephesians chapter five. It's the last verse. Listen to this biblical truth for a minute, okay? Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she has respect for her husband. I was getting my hair cut at sports clips in Boulder, Colorado, where I lived. And one of the young ladies, I was cutting her hair, and she was about to get married. And she said, hey, you do that premarital prep thing. Can you premarital prep me while I'm, I'll cut your hair. You tell me, you know, how to have a good marriage and like that. And I said, okay, what starts really quick? Your husband doesn't want you to, he will not want you to love him. And, the, and she almost cut my ear off. I mean, literally just almost sliced my ear off. I said, if you give that man the choice and he knew the verbiage, he would rather you respect him than love him. Because for a man, respect is love. I'll be bold and mess with you for a second. I don't love my son. I respect my son. And what I mean by I respect my son is this is I respect him for who he is as a man, which tells him I love him. Every man wants to be respected. Now hear me on this, men. With women, the first cup of respect is on the house. The second one you pay for. Amen, can I get an amen from the women in the house? Listen to you, sister, come on. And a girl. The first cup of respect is on the house. Maybe even the first picture is on the house. But guys, you don't, just get to go, you don't just get to say to her, respect me. Be respectable. Be respectable. Be that guy. Carry your weight. Do your thing. 
and you want to be respected, so be that. Don't look back on your past and say, I was overlooked. Don't look back on your past and say, my dad didn't love me. Don't look past and say, you know, all these bad things happen. Go make your life. How are you going to do that? If you try to do it on your own, not too good. Do it with God in your life. Ask God to come and guide your steps. Jonathan went to the battlefield with God or without God? Answer. David went to the battlefield with God or without God? Answer. How are you going to the battlefield? Go with God. Go with God, man. Go with God. Women, your husband wants to be respected. Make it easy for him to be respected. Help him with it. Man, grease his kids a little bit. Help him along the way as well. But let's go to the fifth one for a second. Women, you have an incredible role in our lives. But we as men know, know, let's go to the fifth one. We know when instead of facilitating good male relationships, you are manipulating us to get male relationships. Don't manipulate your man to get a male relationship. Facilitate that. So this is a picture of me and my hottie here last week in the Giza at the pyramids, right? And so Shadley and I were there. We went there for a couple days on our own, a little vacation at the end of our trip together and all like that. And you know one of the most cool things that I have going in my life? She wants me to have good male relationships, she encourages those. She blesses those. One of the things we've done for 33 years of marriage is every year she goes on a trip with a girlfriend or, or a couple of girlfriends. I go do something with one of my guy friends. She says, facilitate those male relationships. I say, facilitate those female relationships because we have a solid friendship going, but she wants to encourage me because she knows there are places I just need to grunt and smell like a guy and be a guy. Ladies encourage that. I love pushing adventure. I love pushing it out on the edge. I still need to be a man and go out there with God. I've got to tell you something. I couldn't go there without him. I could not go there without him. Man, don't go on the field without him. Put on that armor. Be God's man. It is there for you. I hope I didn't offend you. It sure wasn't my goal. It sure wasn't my intention. But it is my intention to say, mm, I'm going to push you a little bit. Did I do that? All right, fair enough. I'm on a one-day contract. We'll see you about tomorrow, all right? <laughs> Bow your heads with me. Holy and living God, you alone are worthy. And we bless you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, so we don't have to do it alone. Help us not do it alone. Help the ladies to not do it alone. Help the men to not do it alone. Help the boys to not do it alone. Help the girls to not do it alone. Because, Lord, we are sin-filled people. We, none of us are sinless. You alone are holy. Bless the name of the Lord in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Peace of God. See you next week.